history, apologetics, and current events. From the housetops, coming up next. St. Benedict Center recently had the pleasure of hosting Mr. Hugh Owen, founder and director of the Colby Center for the Study of Creation, located in Mount Jackson, Virginia. Mr. Owen and his associates at the Colby Center proclaimed the truth about the origin of man and the universe as recorded in Genesis. Now, in the world today, there are basically two different accounts of the origins of man and the universe that are competing for the youth of the world. One of them is God's account of what he did when he created the world and there were no human witnesses. And according to God's revelation, he created everything by fiat, supernaturally. He spoke and it was made, he commanded and it was created. He willed all the different kinds of creatures into existence for us in our first parents, Adam and Eve, and then he stopped creating new kinds of creatures because he had made for us a perfectly beautiful, complete, and harmonious universe that was totally free, not only from human death, but from deformity, disease, or any disorder of that kind. And according to God's revelation, it was only when he finished the entire supernatural work of creation that the natural order that we're living in, what the doctors call the order of providence, began. And this is very important because it means that no matter how smart we are, no matter how good our technology is, we cannot study the universe as it is now. And from that, extrapolate all the way back to the beginning of the world to explain how everything came to be. And if we try to do that, we will come up with the completely wrong answer every single time. Now competing with God's revelation of how he created the world is man's attempt to explain the origins of man in the universe without any reference to God's revelation. And so according to the evolution story, molecules, some matter came into existence usually about 13.7 billion years ago. And that matter came alive and turned into all the different kinds of plants and animals and finally into human beings through the same kinds of material processes that are going on now. So according to this story, everything has been a natural process, a material process. Now there's absolutely no doubt that the Holy Catholic Church took God and His Word in the sacred history of Genesis from day one. Well, there's no better place to begin than with truth Himself. If we go through the Holy Gospels and we highlight every place where our Lord Jesus Christ talks about anything in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, which bring us from creation to the Tower of Babel, we'll see that he always speaks of them as true history. For example, in Mark chapter 10, when he talks about Adam and Eve, he speaks of them as real people who were created at the beginning of creation in a state of perfect harmony. 
This is God speaking. He knows when and how He created the world. And He says that Adam and Eve were created at the beginning. When He talks about Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, He says that He lived at the foundation of the world. This is a phrase in the Bible that always means the beginning of the universe, not just the beginning of human history. But most importantly, when our Lord worked the miracles that revealed His divinity, He always acted in the very same way that He had acted in the beginning, when with the Father and the Holy Ghost, He spoke the heavens and the earth and the seas and all they contain in, into existence. For example, when He went to the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus was going on four days, a decomposing corpse. A decomposing corpse is just a disorganized mess of chemicals. But when our Lord went to the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come out! In a split second, that disorganized mess of chemicals was raised up, the body of a living, breathing human being. And every believing Jew knew that this is exactly what God did in the beginning. He took matter from the earth that had no potential to become a human body. He willed it to become the body of a perfect man, put the soul into it immediately as the form of that body, and filled him with divine grace, and created Adam a perfect man, genetically perfect, perfect in his body, in his intellect, and full of the grace of God. The character of God does not change. As he acted in the beginning when he created the world, that is how he acted when he walked the earth. And that is how he acts today, through the sacraments and through the members of the mystical body of Christ, where there is living faith. And that is the best argument against theistic evolution or any alternative view of creation. Now, it's most unfortunate that Dr. Ken Miller and many other Catholic intellectuals are telling our young people that while most of the fathers of the Church may indeed have understood Genesis to give an accurate account of how God created the world, there was that great exception, St. Augustine. He did not take Genesis as an historical account. He had a purely figurative interpretation of it. He was way ahead of his time, and he gives us a basis in the Fathers to reconcile evolution with the Catholic faith. Well, this is another egregious falsehood. You don't need to take my word for it. These are St. Augustine's own words. The narrative in Genesis is not written in the literary style proper to allegories in the Song of Songs, but from beginning to end in a style proper to history, as in the Books of Kings. In reality, St. Augustine would have shed his last drop of blood, like every other father and doctor of the Church, for the literal historical truth of every single word in the sacred history of Genesis. The only point on which St. Augustine differed from the overwhelming majority of the Fathers was on the meaning of day in Genesis 1. And this is because St. Augustine could not read a word of Hebrew 
and he relied on an imperfect Latin translation of the Hebrew text, the Vedic Latina, the old Latin translation. And in that old Latin translation, it appears that there would be a contradiction between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 if you take the days of Genesis 1 as sequential days. And St. Augustine knew there can't be any contradictions in the Bible, and so he proposed that God created everything instantaneously and revealed the different parts of creation to the angels in these installments that correspond to the six days of creation. But had St. Augustine been working with St. Jerome's accurate translation, which he wrote after going to Palestine and sitting at the feet of the rabbi so that he could learn how to translate the Old Testament correctly, St. Augustine would surely have followed the overwhelming majority view. And that is very thoroughly documented on our website. Two ecumenical councils, Trent and Vatican I, define that when all the fathers of the church agree on any interpretation of scripture that pertains to a doctrine of faith or morals, that is the truth and we have to accept it. Today there are some prominent teachers who are saying, no, this was just a discipline. That was not something that is binding on Catholics today. But that is false, because this very principle is included in the profession of faith of the Council of Trent. And it doesn't get much more authoritative than that. So yes, we are bound to follow the unanimous interpretation of the Scriptures in any interpretation of Scripture that pertains to a doctrine of faith or morals. And all the fathers agree that Genesis is a sacred history recorded by Moses, that God created all the different kinds of creatures instantly and immediately for us and our first parents, and we would say, in view of the Immaculate Conception and the Incarnation. Not every breed of dog, but every kind of creature from which every plant and animal on earth today is descended. And all the fathers held that Adam was created body and soul, and Eve literally created from Adam's side, and that God then placed them as the king and queen of a perfectly beautiful, complete, and harmonious universe, and that it was only the original sin of Adam that brought the human death, deformity, and disease into this world. And so every father of the church agreed with St. Augustine in the city of God, that in this creation had no one sinned, the world would have been filled and beautified with nature's good, without exception. And I cannot emphasize too much the importance of this truth, because children who are grown up with this truth, as Catholic children were from the time of the Apostles until very recently, such a child knows that God, who is all good, all loving, and all wise, created for that child this world in a state of original perfection, and that it was only sin that brought human death and deformity and disease and struggle for existence into this world. And that when we destroyed 
the harmony of the first created world with our sin, God came down into the misery that we made, took it upon himself, suffered and died for us, founded the Holy Church, and invited us to become new creations in him and to cooperate with him in the Holy Church to restore everything back to the beauty that it had in the beginning and bring it to an even more wonderful perfection in the future. Who would not fall in love with a God like that? Even barbarians fell in love with that God because that is the God that was proclaimed to them by the apostles and the great missionary saints. And all the fathers of the church agreed with St. Paul in Romans 8 that the entire universe was affected by the original sin of Adam that took place on this earth. Not just the human race, not just the whole earth, the entire universe. Because this earth is the capital of the entire cosmos. Stay with us. We'll be back with more From the Housetops after this break. Hi, this is Tom Price from EWTN saying thanks for listening to WQPH 89.3 FM, Catholic Radio serving Shirley, Fitchburg, and the world. Please join us in praying the Memorari for all our intentions. We are at a Legion of Mary meeting now, Our Lady of the Holy Eucharist Presidium. We hope that you have the Legion of Mary in your parish. Please join us in praying. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, implored your help, sought your intercession, was left unaided, inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, our Mother. To you we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful, O Mother of the Word incarnate, Despise not our petition, but in thy mercy, hear and answer us. Amen. Thank you for listening to WQPH. Please pray for us. Hello, this is Kendra Von Esch. Faith and Patience Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When I waver in my faith, when I question my trust in you and your plans. Please come to my aid. When I'm impatient and want my prayers answered or your plans to unfold on my time, please remind me that patience is a virtue that I must exercise. Lord, I believe, please grant me the grace of more faith and more patience every single moment of every day. For more inspiration, go to KendraVonEsch.com. On the WQPH 89.3 FM community calendar, WQPH is very pleased to announce our first annual Shrove Tuesday brunch, which is going to take place on the Feast of the Holy Face, which is Shrove Tuesday, Tuesday, February 13th, the day before Ash Wednesday, from 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. It's going to be at Slattery's Restaurant, 106 Lunenburg Street in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. 
You're going to have a chance to meet your fellow WQPH listeners, meet some of the WQPH hosts who are around locally, and together we'll have some fellowship to prepare ourselves for our Lenten journey, which will begin the following day. Also, the tickets are going to be numbered because there's going to be a drawing for a Catholic care package to help the person who wins the drawing with various little things to help them along for their Lenten journey. Now, the tickets are $45 a piece. You can get your tickets at wqphradio.org. Just click on the Donate button and put down Shrove Tuesday tickets. There may be a Shrove Tuesday ticket there. You just click on that, and again, you'll say Tickets for Shrove Tuesday. They will be available after some Masses in the local area, or you can call 617-459-8735. That's 617-459-8735. Call or text, and you can get your tickets reserved for the Shrove Tuesday brunch. Again, that's the first annual WQPH 89.3 FM Shrove Tuesday brunch, Tuesday, February 13th, the Feast of the Holy Face, 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., Slattery's Restaurant, 106 Lunenburg Street, Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Again, tickets, $45, but $40 if you get them before February 1st. Hope to see you there. This has been the WQPH 89.3 FM Community Calendar. You are listening to WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Fitchburg. And now a word from author Peter and Jimmy, who is the host of Your Prayer Intentions, taking place every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Whether you're donating money or giving us prayers, without you, we don't go on. And if you do want to help us go on, please consider going to wqphradio.org. There's a donate button there. You can give once, you can give monthly, and it makes a difference. It keeps all of our shows, and we have a great lineup of shows keeps us going and whether you're a fan of uh, your prayer intentions whether you like steve's show benedict's hammer sundays at midnight whether you like brother matthew and brother anthony from from the housetops which is on sundays 10 30 a.m and 4 p.m whether you're a fan of the children's rosary which we have every day at 5 p.m seven days a week whether you like our local matter show which is saturday at 11 or talk catholic which comes right after us at 12.30. Larry's Music Off, Sunday at 11 a.m. We have the Shepherd's Pie, Saturdays at 1 p.m. Or Dan and Tom with the 13th Apostle, which comes just before us at 11.30. Any of those shows and all the stuff you donate, you help these things come out. But what's also at the WQPH website, in addition to podcasts of our shows, is the prayer wall. Right on the prayer wall, support WQPH and get WQPH 24 hours a day, 7 days a week on WQPHradio.org. This is Father John Augustine Zahm at Notre Dame University at the beginning of the 20th century. This man was brilliant. He was a master of the natural sciences and the sacred sciences. But in total disobedience to the magisterium, he went into print in 1890 with the book Evolution and Dogma, in which he says, there's so much evidence now for this evolutionary hypothesis, we simply must reconcile the faith with it. And if you read that book, which he wrote, remember, in total disobedience, this is the main evidence that he cites. The bogus drawings of Ernst Haeckel to substantiate his bogus hypothesis of embryonic recapitulation, that the human embryo recapitulates all the stages of evolution in the mother's womb. Now, Father Zahn 
made Notre Dame University a flagship for teaching theistic evolution. And we can draw a direct line to that even more terrible day a hundred years later when Barack Obama, the most pro-abortion political leader in the entire world, walked on stage and received an honorary degree of Notre Dame while the real Catholics were being handcuffed and taken down to the local armory, not even allowed to protest this abomination. Because without the acceptance of theistic evolution and the denigration of the sacred humanity of the unborn child from the moment of conception in the time of Father Zahn, there would never have been an honorary degree for Barack Obama, the most pro-abortion political leader in the world at the end of the 20th century. What did Pope Pius XII ask the Catholic intellectuals to do? Examine the claims. Well, fast forward nine years. This man, who my father knew personally, was the number one atheist scientist champion of evolution. And because it was the 100th anniversary of the publication of Darwin's Origin of Species, the mass media called upon Sir Julian to pontificate on this great occasion. And he laid it on the line. He said, embryology gives the best proof of evolution. Think about that. He's talking about Ernst Haeckel's drawings. Well, here we see on the top the Ernst Haeckel fraud, where he drew a human embryo, copied it, and said that that was the embryo of the fish, chicken, turtle, salamander, and rabbit at the same stage of development. On the bottom row, you have the actual photographs of the human embryo and the embryos of the other kinds of organisms at the same stage of development. Anybody can see that the human embryo is distinct from all the others. But each of these different kinds of organisms is also distinct from all the rest. This completely contradicts all the claims of the leading evolutionists, from Darwin to T.H. Huxley to Ernst Haeckel to Julian Huxley to Carl Sagan and the rest. But it completely agrees with the sacred history of Genesis, where Moses tells us ten times that God created each kind of creature to reproduce after its kind. So, of course, you would expect that each kind of organism has its own specific pattern of embryonic development, and that is exactly what we see. But here we have Father Karl Rahner, 20 years after Pope Pius XII, in Humanity Generous, asked Catholic intellectuals to examine the evidence for evolution, meekly ascending to the consensus view, the bogus consensus view in natural science and goes into print in 1970 saying, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. In my mother's womb, I went through a fish stage when I had gills. I went through an amphibian stage. Then I went through a reptile stage when I had a vestigial tail. And only finally, who knows, after 12 weeks or something like that, I reached the fully human stage. My brothers and sisters, this is the very time when my dad accepted to become Secretary General of IPPF. Now they could point to Father Rahner and a whole host of other Catholic intellectuals and say, look, even your own smartest people are smart enough to recognize that evolution is a fact. How can you people be so stupid as to think that something that's only in the fish stage 
or the amphibian stage deserves all the rights and privileges and protections of a fully developed human being. And here is a 21st century biology textbook. And I am ashamed to tell you that it was co-authored by a prominent American member of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences. And I cannot really tell these drawings apart from the Ernst Haeckel frauds from the 19th century, but look at the caption. It says, all vertebrates start out with an enlarged head region, gill slits, and a tail. This is total nonsense. What are called gill slits have nothing to do with breathing. They develop into the pharyngeal arches in different parts of our facial anatomy. We never had a vestigial tail. But what happens to our young people when they read this and look at this, especially in a Catholic school or university? They are made to believe that evolution is actually sound science. The only way that anybody will ever know the true age and origin of this entire universe is from the truthful witness Moses appointed by God as that witness has been understood in God's church from the beginning. And so, let us thank God for the gift of supernatural faith that makes it possible for us to believe in the miracle of the wedding of Cana with the very same faith by which we believe that God created the world in six days and consecrated the seventh day because He loves us so much that He created the world according to the very pattern that we must follow if we want to live a happy, healthy, holy life. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Thank you very much. According to godless secular sources, creationism is a response to modern evolutionary theory. These same sources claim that creationists reject scientific explanations such as evolution. They say creationists adopt a pseudo-scientific explanation of the origin of the universe, of the earth, and of life on earth because they base their claims on the creation myth in Genesis. Aside from the blasphemy of such rant, it should be remembered that Darwin himself admitted he never explained the origin of species, let alone the origin of the universe. So for our purposes now, let's redirect the discussion. What about the evolution myth, the Big Bang Theory? The whole universe came from a particle the size of a golf ball when it exploded? Can an effect be greater than its cause? Certainly not. In this case, can nothing produce the universe, or even a single atom? Here the evolutionist must seek for a cause, and here he must depart from his so-called science to theories as unprovable as pre-existing matter and an eternal universe, the hypothesis that the universe always existed. No, creation is not a response to evolution theories. It is the fact made known to us by divine revelation that the greatest of all causes, the first and omnipotent cause, by his will, by his word, brought all created things into existence. Therefore, the literal understanding of creation, 
as expressed in Genesis, in no way contradicts genuine science and continues to withstand all the attacks of pseudoscience and disbelief. From the House Stops is produced by the slaves of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, Still River, Massachusetts.